Hi, I'm Sarah Shea. And I'm Strangely Duesberg. Welcome to the Pilot House. The podcast where we watch all the shows we missed the first time around. And try to figure out where the heck they were going with this. So Sarah, what on earth do we know about Highway to Heaven? I know that the show was recommended to us by my friend Brandy. Hi, Brandy. Uh, and she apparently loves it. But I think, if I'm recalling correctly, it might be sort of a like, oh, I watched this when I was a kid thing. So I don't know if she would stand by it today. Uh-huh. Uh, I know that it's from the 70s. Yeah. I, I saw what well, we were just getting it queued up on Amazon. 74 okay. is the first Cheating. season. I saw. I'm not gonna. I, I, I know that. I'm, I'm. I'm being honest with that. This is hard hitting podcast journalism right here. All right. It's so about it's ethics and podcast journalism. It's oh boy. Uh, it's about <laughs> a guy who uh, he dies, and then he becomes an angel, and he has to. But or or like he dies in, in order to become like a full fledged angel. He has to help people. Like mm-hmm. the uh, it's a wonderful life model, and then the show is him. He has a buddy in the show, I think, but I don't know what the relationship is. Are they both angels? Is one of them alive? Are they both? I don't know. But like they they travel along a highway, yeah, earning good deed points so they can get to heaven. <laughs> I believe that's the premise. Yeah, my my vague like notion of this is that it is in the genre of like shows from the seventies and eighties where. They were very small casts, like one or two main characters. Oh, yeah, and then like, rotating people every week. Yeah, so like people. Quantum Leap or Kung Fu or... Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of more of them. Uh, the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Where it's just like at the end of every episode, like whatever's happened finishes and then it's like him walking down the highway or yeah. whatever. Just going, all right, time to go down this highway. Toward to get heaven. Get me a little closer to heaven. Yeah, but it's like every episode, like they kind of solve a problem and then leave. In, in a way that d- technically gets them incrementally closer to some big goal mm-hmm. that is the their character's motivation. Yeah. But they never get there until maybe the finale of the series. Yeah. I also believe that the main character is played by Michael Landon. Well, there we go. I also... I recently heard somebody mention uh, Touched by an Angel, mm-hmm. which I saw little bits of, I think, when I was... Uh, a kid when it was on TV in like yeah. the, the mid nineties, whenever that show was on, and I went, oh yeah, this this is that same model, right? Touched by an Angel was about angels like helping people's lives or whatever. Um, but they mentioned something about Michael Landon, and I went, oh wait, did he like produce Touched by an Angel or something? I, uh, was he in Touched by an Angel? Is this like Michael Landon's thing? And he tried with Hideaway to Heaven and it like didn't quite work the way he wanted. So he's like, all right, let's try it again. But this time, ladies. <laughs> I don't know. That I, I, I'm very curious. I didn't, I pointedly did not look up whether Michael Landon was involved in Touch by an Angel. In case I was wrong, I could still say it on the podcast and maybe that would be entertaining. I don't know. All right. Well, let's go find out. Let's go watch the two part 90 minute pilot. Of Highway to Heaven. Way to Heaven. Highway to to Heaven. heaven. You know there's like a Christian rock band. Oh my god. Or like a bunch of dads who play at like the the Christian high school prom or some shit like that who are like they're they're rocking that one. It exists. You know it. I just had 
a beautiful flash of how you must feel every time I'm like, isn't there like a Jewish thing with like a candle and like a bagel? <laughs> like, and like it happens every like Thursday in March. <laughs> You're welcome. So we just watched Highway to Heaven all, all 90, 90 minutes. minutes. Ha. I was really hoping, I had advocated with Strangely for, if the first 45 minutes give us, like, enough to talk about and enough of the plot or whatever, let's just, we'll just talk about the first half, because 90 minutes seems like a lot, but they just barely got to the actual action at the midway point, so we're gonna kind of breeze through the recap part pretty quickly and uh, get into actually talking about what, what the hell this show is. <laughs> Yeah. So, one sentence synopsis. Strangely, I, I do them a lot. Would you like to try take a stab at this one? Yeah, uh, let's see. An angel named Jonathan Smith yeah. arrives in a town, gets himself a job at a nursing home, helps the old people seize control of their own destiny by buying the nursing home, and along the way he meets a alcoholic former cop and helps the cop and the cop's sister face their problems and makes their lives better before drifting off out of town. With the cop in tow yeah. as his new second-in-command, traveling and helping people. Yeah, I'm only just now realizing how gay of a setup that is. Like A little bit. A little bit. Like the moment at the, the end where they hug. is very... And then they, they pull back and kind of look at each other like... The cop's like got tears in his eyes and he's like, I never could have done that. Before I met you, and you're like, yeah, you're you're. I, a lot of things are awakening in you. I understand it's Michael Landon. It's got the hair and everything, but wow. anyway, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But yeah, that's a you know the one sentence synopsis. Yeah, that's I, the I feel like uh, Michael Landon in a chambray shirt can make a lot of people feel a lot of things. So yeah, <laughs> it it makes me want to go live in a little house on the prairie for yeah. sure. Anywho, uh, let's get into a very quick recap. Yeah. Because uh, I have thoughts on this, but plot is not... Plot there. is not huge. Yeah, so basically... I mean, the one-sentence synopsis covers most of it. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Smith. Not John Smith, right? Almost. Jonathan. But Jonathan Smith. Uh, he's wandering uh, along a dusty highway. An old man pulls up in a truck, says, Where are you headed? He says the name of a town. The guy goes, I'm headed that way, too. And he's like, Oh, thank you. And he said, Hang on. I said, I'm headed that way, too. If you want to join, it's $10. And... But you said you were going there anyway. Anyway, the guy's like an old uh, crank who's like, yeah, it's the world. The world is ain't nothing. Come for free. And ten dollars for a ride in nineteen seventy four. That's it's, like a lot of money. Yeah, that seems. I was like, no, that seemed like quite a lot. Like honestly, even now, someone if I was, I don't know how far away they were, but if someone was like, it presumably he wasn't that far away, right? Yeah. It did seem kind of like, if someone's like, yeah, 10 bucks, I'd be like, all right, dude, like, don't be a dick about it. But I still probably would pay it if I was hard up or, you know, for a ride or yeah. something. But yeah, in, in, in 70, like, that seems like kind of a lot of money, actually. Yeah. So this guy was a real asshole, is what we're saying. And, uh... He's a cartoonish asshole. Yeah. Oh, he's like a, yeah, crotchety old man. He's like, kind of squinting at Jonathan and everything. But, uh, you know, he says, ain't nothing in this world free. And Jonathan says kindness is he's like what kindness is free 
Ah, what planet are you living on? Johnny drives off. Jonathan gives him a look. A long, lingering look. A lot of shots in this show that were just very long and lingering and way longer than you need to this be. This show is taking its time. And he, he looks at the... He kind of squints at the truck. And the truck explodes. Not explodes. It does, <laughs> wow. it does a car thing. There's a, there's a noise and some... The smoke. truck backfires and Backfires. Stops. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what the car words are. Look, friends, I don't know a lot about cars. The, the, the truck backfires and stops. And Jonathan walks up and is like, ah, oh, can I help you? And the guy's like, I don't need any help. But then Jonathan magically fixes the truck without actually doing anything. Yeah. Uh, and it magically works. And then the guy offers him a ride. He kind of warms up to him and is nicer to him or whatever. Uh, anyway, so he gets into this town, immediately goes to this old folks' home, asks for a job. The, the old folks' home is cartoonishly old folks' home. Everyone is in pajamas and, and bathrobes. Just staring off into space. And yeah, not, no one is playing chess or reading a book or listening to the radio or watching TV. But I know it's a stereotype of old folks' homes that everyone is miserable and they're treated very poorly. Uh, but like, that seemed like it was going pretty extreme. I, yeah, I, and the, just everything continues like this. And it's just like the whole thing feels like it was written by someone who has had things described to them. Yeah. But who has not experienced it. Like, and I mean, I guess now is as good a point as any to mention, because over the scene of meeting the guy and the pickup truck and everything is the opening credits. It is starring Michael Landon, produced by Michael Landon, written by Michael Landon, directed. This is a Michael Landon joint. This is clearly a passion project. This is, yeah, this is like the, the Kirk Lazarus movie. At the Passion beginning. of the Project. Yeah. Sorry. It's, it's, it's a, yeah, it's like the movie in Mr. Bean's Holiday where it's just like the dude's name over and over and over again. Uh, yeah, it was just, it was practically costumes by Michael Landon. <laughs> he clearly was all over this. This is his thing. And there's just, there's, there's very little understanding of genuine human pathos to it because of that it, it, it yeah it, everything felt very much like and this is how books and movies like whatever the i the feel like there needs to be a word for like the idea of something that we have just from how it's depicted in books and, and movies yeah like we, we say sometimes like this is how you know an alien would understand this thing or whatever and that's what we usually mean it's like, not not even yeah it is exactly. It's exactly that. Yeah. It's just like you An have. Old folks' home is a bunch of old people. Yeah. In pajamas, being absolutely miserable, just abject misery. And it just it doesn't it doesn't seem like Michael Landon has ever been to an old folks' home. Yeah, I mean, probably not. Like that. Yeah, it was. But then again, he probably has. And then he. This is. This show is not about. This show is pretty heavy-handed, is what I'm saying. This oh, show is heavy-handed yeah. all across the board. The owner or the manager or whatever of is a guy in a home. yeah, in a, is a guy in a suit in an office saying, "Well, tell his family if I don't get the the rent check or the, I don't get it, their check by the end of the week, he'll have to leave. I can't keep him here." But sir, they said that they just needed an, another day. Look, I know what they said, but this is a business, you know. He's running this like old folks' home, like it's a freaking Fortune 500 company. He's like, I was hired to do a job here and that's what I will do. And he's wearing a three-piece suit at all times. Yeah. 
Anyway, Jonathan convinces him to give him a job as a gardener by uh, saying, I'll work for a month for free, which is, again, it's it's excessive. Everything is over the top. If he'd said, like, because he says I don't have any references, which why couldn't he? He's already evidence that he can get things because he's like, oh, I saw an ad uh, you guys put in the paper for a job and he's like what that uh, that wasn't supposed to go out till tomorrow and he's like oh i i heard about it from someone at the newspaper office it's like he's already evidenced that he can get things yeah he can acquire things and make things happen so like why doesn't he just magic up some references instead he has to say like well uh you just i'll work for free for a month if you like my work then uh i'll go on the you know the salary after that like and this is the kind of like thing that I found intriguing about this because if the show had been made 30 years later like there this would have been subtle world building about like the rules of being an angel it's like you're allowed to be you're allowed to be sneaky or whatever because you can't admit you're an angel so you are tacitly lying by omission yeah but you're not allowed to lie specifically so the little gag here where he's like well what happened to the previous guy and the manager's like i fired him and he's like did, did he, he have, have references, references? well you know. of course he did well then it just goes to show references aren't everything yeah he it's does a it clever little... little bit of business but it, it doesn't there's there's nothing around it to give you anything other than this michael guy is just kind of a smooth con man john john, john is just a smooth kind of con man michael yeah. is the best angel obviously yeah. obviously <laughs> we've all seen the jonathan the jonathan we've all seen the john travolta movie uh but like he he it's a nice little bit of business, but also this entire first episode, we don't actually, it's not revealed to us what oh, the game is. Yeah. We, aside from, if, if we didn't know the premise, yeah, I would have been so confused. Like, I actually be very curious to have somebody watch this show knowing nothing yeah. about it and see how long it took them to figure out what was going on. Or, or what they would guess was the situation. Because right off the bat, when the guy's car, back, uh, truck backfires, he, you get the impression that he did this. He made this happen or something. Yeah. And then he fixes it by the same magic or whatever. So you're like, is this guy magic? But then everything he does from then on makes him look like a con artist. Yeah. Everything he does. He convinces them to give him a job by offering to work for free. Okay, well then presumably you're in it for something else, right? Yeah. Uh, he then makes friends with the nurse, knows her first name, and she's like, wait, how did you know my first name? And he's like, oh, uh, the Mr. Hopkins introduced us. And she kind of looks at him like, I don't remember that, but okay. And then he says, oh, by the way, I'm looking for a place to live if you have any suggestions. She's like, oh, well, there's an apartment for rent at my building. And he's like, oh, well, I'd love to go there with you after work. It's like, this is getting catchier and sketchier. Can I come home with you? Can I see where you live? Like, yeah. And he's super judgy about everything. Like people saying, well, that's just the way the world is. And he goes, it's only the way the world is because people let it be that way. Yeah. He's full of this like fortune cookie wisdom. Yeah. She says like, uh, she says something about, well, times change. And he goes, no, people do. And I want her to be like, I mean, yeah, okay. That's kind of what that saying means. I'm sorry, I wasn't saying... That I, the phrase times change doesn't mean that people don't. Yeah. It's just saying things change is what that means. I don't know. I was just like, what are you... He's so judgy. He's so freaking judgy, which makes sense if he's an angel. But 
it's, yeah, he just comes off as like a kind of intense weirdo con artist. Yeah. At best, a con artist. At worst, a super creep. Yeah. And what's odd is like, I can tell that this show ended up being influential in terms of like depictions of benign heavenly visitors. Yeah. Because I feel like I've seen this a million times before. Like, like Angels in the Outfield or... Um, I don't know, Miracle, or, like, there's all those movies where it's, like, an angel is, like... Shows up and, and yeah. like... Bruce Almighty, yeah. like, the way God is portrayed in that is, like, very similar. It's just, like, this, like, really yeah. chill, kind of fortune cookie wisdom kind of person who's, like, yeah. hey, uh, I need a ride. Yeah. No, I... I've lost the, my keys. The depiction of an angel as sort of a, 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 just, like, a nice person who... Could be an angel, but also could just be a serious weirdo. Yeah. It's like, did that, I mean, I've never actually seen It's a Wonderful Life, but like, it's like, did it come from that? Was that the first one? Because doesn't Clarence just appear like a normal dude? Yeah. He doesn't look like an angel. No, because you know, well, he, he's trying to earn his wings. Right, right. He doesn't have a halo or anything, though. He's no. just a dude. And, and... Because at some point in this, I think it's the, the second episode, he says, like, he's, like, probationary or something. He's like, I'm not super good at it yet. Oh, he's, he just new says to I'm this. new to it. He yeah. just says he's new to it. Yeah, there's no implication that he's trying to achieve a goal. It It is implied, although, let me be clear, not made explicit. Nothing in the show is made explicit. Despite the fact that we watched 90 minutes of it. It is implied that this is just what angels do. Yeah. This is just how he, this is what your job is as an angel. And he's just new to it. Is he new to it because he recently died? That we don't know. Yeah. Uh, is he even a previously dead person? Is he that definition of angel? Or is he like heavenly creature definition of angel? Although him being new to the job suggests... You know, the maybe former. he got promoted to boots on the ground status. Yeah, or yeah, maybe he was just a like a clerk up in heaven. L- look, in order to speed this along, yeah, I, I, want to, I want to breeze through the yeah. whole first episode by yeah. establishing three, three things. Yeah, because he, he, tr- he's down on earth to help people, and yes. he's arrived in this town, and he has three things he needs to help. There are the old people in the nursing home, and the nursing home is about to be sold. Yes. There is the nurse who works at the nursing home, and we find out that she is... Well, it's not even stated that she's lonely. We just find out she hasn't had a date in five years, and apparently that's the worst thing. Yeah. Well, it's definitely implied that she is... She Well, she lives with her, bro- her yeah. older brother, who used to be a cop, and then they never establish what happened. It's not like, and then his wife died, or... And then he witnessed something well, really terrible. So... He just... His life... He just got bitter. And about life and the, quits his or gets fired for excessive force. And that her brother is the third thing that he is there to help. Yeah, yeah. So that's the third thing. Yeah, he's, I, it, I honestly, it kind of implied, I don't know, it kind of seemed like the old folks' home was the main job, and the other two were sort of like he just came across them and went like, should I while I'm here? Like it almost yeah. seemed like that wasn't what he was sent for. Yeah. But it also kind of seems like a package deal. Yeah. Because, and I mean, spoiler alert, he helps the old folks home and yeah. the brother and sister. But it's like, spoiler, you said it in the uh, in the one sentence synopsis. Yeah. So you've but already the, spoiled it. But the thing is, is like, I think it is kind of a package deal, and I did like how all that fit together. That yeah. like, 
the sister needed to be free from her brother, yeah. moping around the house. The brother needed purpose in life again. Yeah. And the old folks needed help. And clearly the sister is staying at the old folks' home to continue to help them. So it's like those... Oh, she's continuing working there. Yeah, yeah. she's going to continue working there I'm for like, the no, old I folks. No, I think she still lives in her apartment. <laughs> Yeah, she, like, yep. she's moving in. Yeah, honestly, I think the dumbest part of the she, plot she's is an that actress. They... She's twenty nine. She's old. I'm well, sorry. No, I honestly, I thought the dumbest part of this entire ridiculous show was that in the end they tell Mr. Hopkins when the old folks like now own the 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 home, uh, they tell Mr. Hopkins this complete asshole who clearly has no interest in running an old folks home and no experience doing so. Yeah. he's just there. To keep the business running until it sells. That's clearly he was hired for that specific job. They still tell him you we'd, we'd be happy to keep you on. I'm like no, fire him. Leslie gets uh, um, promoted right. to like manager of the home, and then they hire a, like a couple of other nurses yeah. because that many people and just one nurse is insane. Anyway, I only really want to talk about. John's relationship to the cop. What's his? I forget. I forget his name. Mark. To Mark. The cop. John and Mark's relationship is actually interesting to me. So was it? Yeah. Well, I have I have thoughts about yeah. that. I don't I, have thoughts about the whole old I folks. I thought we were trying to get through line. the recap. Yeah. So we we've those three things we established. That's what's established at the end of the first episode. And Mark is suspicious of John. Because he he seems like a con man. Yeah. Well, and he even what, says that. That's what... We just get a little whisper of that before the first episode ends. Yeah. We get the first evidence that Mark is, like, the only smart person in this town. And it's like, doesn't it seem kind of weird? Because Jonathan keeps getting things for free and saying, oh, a friend of mine gave them to me. He's suddenly planting flowers at the old folks' home. And you know, the, the owner says, or the manager says, well, where did you, what are you doing? This wasn't on the list of things I gave you to do. We don't have money for flowers. He's like, oh, I did everything else on the list. And then a friend gave me these flowers. <laughs> if there's one thing my friend has, it's lots of flowers. He's about as subtle with referring to God as my friend as Jimmy Olsen is in Supergirl. <laughs> referring yeah. to super, Superman constantly. It's, you know, my big blue buddy over there or whatever. Like, Jonathan just stopped short of referring to him as, like, the big guy. <laughs> Or yeah. my friend upstairs, because he's trying to be a little more subtler than that. I am genuinely curious if Neil Gaiman or Terry Pratchett saw this show somehow in uh, export in the UK. Or if something like this was being made in the UK. Because so much of the kind of like casual, casual supernatural, th- this is like the earliest depiction of what I'll call casual supernatural that I can think of that I've seen anyway, the kind of thing where it's like, you're meeting an angel, but the angel's like, Oh, well it doesn't really work like that. I just kind of know when to say hi to people. It's a wonderful life, right? Like, is that not, does that not count? Again, haven't actually seen the movie. I just know kind of the premise that Clarence shows up and is like, ah, I'm just a, an angel class twos a or whatever. I gotta earn my wings. I'm just like a normal guy though, or whatever. I don't, I guess the, the difference I'm making is that It's a Wonderful Life is like, it's it's pretty on the nose that he's an angel. Mm-hmm. This is like... Oh, they're drawing it out. The, the way they're drawing it out and he's he just kind of... show up and go, hey guys, I'm an angel. Yeah. yeah. It's not part of his way of going about things to reveal that he's an angel. Whereas yeah. Clarence in It's a Wonderful Life is kind of like, look, I this is my shot. This, you know, yeah. it, it hinges on him revealing that information. Yeah. Whereas this kind of thing where it's like, 
you could make you could tell this story as a magical realism where it's never clearly revealed one way or the other that this guy's an angel. Maybe he's Honestly, just a kook. I really thought that's how they were gonna play it. When we hadn't even gotten a hint yeah. by the end of the first episode. I mean, except to him doing things that seemed somewhat magical. Yeah. And him saying a lot of Jesus-y shit. Uh, but like I really thought, are they really gonna play this? Like we, the audience, can kind of tell clearly he's more than than just a random guy. Yeah. But I thought they were going to play it where nobody else in the show was convinced. And I'm actually really bummed that they just decided to make Mark go from absolutely reasonably suspicious to uh-huh. basically accepting it on the strength of a door that was locked and then suddenly opened and a stake appearing out of nowhere. Those two things. And I'm like, people are capable of justifying a lot. First of all, the door... That seems like a pretty easy gaffe. Like, that's yeah. not... There's a lot of ways that you could affect that yeah. trick. The steak in the fridge is a little more like, whoa, but, like, he could have an accomplice. It's just weird that Mark just goes, holy shit, this guy's an angel. Like, he kind of goes for it pretty quickly. Yeah, and I I think that has to do with why I think Mark is interesting as a character. It, it, I mean, yeah, it made he is the most interesting, interesting out of what's available. Yeah. Because he's someone who very clearly believes in nothing and has given up all hope on, you know, life and yeah. the goodness of people. You know, he's very broken. There's the scene where he's he's drunk at a bar. It, I I actually thought the acting was really touching because I I have encountered people like that who are just at the bottom of their personal well. Well, and like the actor playing him, I. I thought there was a lot of pathos in the scene. Like once he stands up and he's being comically drunk, like yeah. hitting on some random woman, that's it's that's very TV. But the scene where yeah. he's just sitting at the table and he's like talking about sort of his past and, and how the job of being a police officer broke him. And because he just, he saw the worst aspects of the world. Yeah, he describes it as being like constantly watching the, the six o'clock news. Yeah. and But you can't turn it off. Yeah, you can't do anything. You can't change it. it. Yeah. You know... That, like, oh, good. Okay, so we agree. The cops are useless. Excellent. The, but that, like, that is an origin story for a character who clearly believed in something and just had it all fall apart. You know, you yeah. you could, you know that story. Uh, you know, you know those characters yeah. where it's like, I'm going to change the system from the inside. I'm going to be one of the good ones or yeah. whatever. And it's just like, no. No. Yeah, I, I did appreciate the part where Leslie tells Jonathan about her brother and says, you know, he used to be a police officer. He... He really loved that job, but then he got so angry. <laughs> I'm like, right, you said he loved being a cop, so, I mean, uh... And then he 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 got fired for using excessive force. I'm like, no, this, I mean, this all lines up. Like, yeah, you said he enjoyed being a cop, right? Like, yeah. that from a, from, I'm sure from a 1970s TV perspective, it's like, uh, he was a police officer and he loved it, a.k.a. he was a good guy. Yeah. And then it all fell apart, and I'm like, yeah. hmm... Yeah, he was angry. He said he was a cop. I mean, that just, it's like, yeah, people used to talk about things differently. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, a different story of a different time. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think, I think I, I just, the, 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 the character history that I imagined was that he, he was trying to catch a bad guy and he snapped because the bad guy got away or whatever. And he. Sure. So, That's the know. kind of thing the show would go yeah. for. Yeah. And I, I just, I think it's kind of beautiful that he's totally broken and he's so world weary and he's, he's coming across as so cynical. And then all that has to happen is 
you know, he, he confronts Jonathan in Jonathan's apartment, which is fucking empty. Yeah. And the fridge is empty. And he looks at the fridge and he's looking in the fridge. He's like, there's nothing in here. Yeah. This guy's not real. Yeah. I, I did appreciate it. It was one of those old fridges where if you've ever seen them, the shelves are kind of shaped like a half circle and they rotate so you can pull them out and get to the things in the back. Yeah. A friend of mine actually has one of those in her apartment that works and it's bananas. But anyway, that was kind of awesome. But it was completely yeah. empty. Especially that was especially good because this is the scene where uh Leslie has invited Jonathan over for dinner. Mm-hmm. She's bought a brand new dress, one that he pointed out in a shop window and said would look nice on her. She's putting up makeup for the first time in ages. She literally looks at herself in the mirror and goes, I look pretty. Like all of her self worth has come from uh this yeah. guy showing up. And being attractive and being nice to her. But he never she tells suddenly... her she looks nice though. That's true. He never She actually... decides she looks nice. Yeah. That's that's nice, yeah. And even when he points out the dress, there is a I mean I don't know why I'm taking a side, but I there were some interesting choices in that writing that like yeah. he points out the dress, he's like, I bet it would look nice on you. But then again, what does a man know about women's fashion? Like yeah. he's 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 not hitting on her. Yeah. He's mostly just being nice to her, but it's definitely in a way that I thought it was kind of odd. I'm like, isn't it kind of shitty that he's basically, he's flirting with her, kind of. He's being nice to her. He's sort of acting like he is interested in her. Yeah. Going to going over to her place for dinner and everything. And that is clearly giving her a little boost of confidence that like, oh, this attractive man is interested in me. And then he's just going to fuck off out of town once his job is done. It seems kind of shitty. And I was like, well, he'll probably have a scene where he tells her something like, look, I, you're really great. I just want you to know this has nothing to do with you. I have to go, but... Off on a road trip with your brother. Yeah, well. But, you know, I thought there's going to be a scene where he tells her, like, please don't let me be the only thing that... Makes you want to look nice. That makes you want to look nice and feel good about yourself or something like that. No, of course not. He does the absolute bullshit coward's way out where he tells Mark, no, I can't say goodbye to her. There'd be a lot of questions. What? No. I mean, yeah, but like, no more than, she's still going to ask questions if you just fuck off out of her life. You're just saying, I don't want to answer those questions. I don't want to even try to give her answers. I'm more interested in saving myself the awkwardness of trying to come up with answers to those questions than I am with her. Like, it just seemed contradictory to him trying to improve her life. But of course, at the end, she runs to his apartment to get answers from him. And then there's another handsome dude who's moved in. Who's like, well, hi, who looks like we're neighbors. <laughs> I look vaguely like young Nathan Fillion. Hello, I'm going to flirt with you. I'm your new boyfriend. Like, it just seemed like, oh, well, he threw her a bone. He gave her another man to pay attention to. It's just like, all right. Jerk. I, I, yeah. I get the impression he didn't have anything to do with that. Well, then if he didn't have anything to do with that and that was just a coincidence, he's even more of a dick, honestly. Like, he's not even yeah. trying to soften the blow. He just fucks off out of town. No, I mean, like, I, I just, I... If he, that's what makes me think that it was kind of, like, bonus. Oh, I can also boost this lady's confidence while I'm here. The, 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 some of the lines really... about how he talks about what he's supposed to do, it's like he just knows, it's like, I have to go here. I yeah. have to do this. Yeah. Uh, and I... I get the impression that, like, he doesn't know why. I mean, granted, this is probably my reading of it, and I'm trying yeah, to find the most interesting nothing. reading. You are, yeah. you are definitely this is, trying this to This is guess. my interpretation. Yeah. But, like, the thing I'm reading in it is that, like, his boss, yeah. his friend, is just telling him what to do in any given moment. He's not being given the grand plan. 
and the way everything kind of falls into place and even the the mistake that happens in the big plan that's outside of what he does yeah. it's like he's just another piece of this that's he's true. not the puppet master yeah he does say that like he's like look i'm making some mistakes cuz i'm new at this yeah he sh- suddenly shows up uh like he and Leslie are going to walk to work the next day, and he shows up with a couple of bicycles. Like, yeah. oh, a friend gave them to me. And the bicycles are definitely the thing that makes Mark really suspicious, because he's like, those are two pretty nice-looking bikes. You don't yeah. just get those for free. He starts going to, like, every bike store in town and trying to find out who would have given Jonathan these bikes and yeah. can't find a single person who's ever heard of a Jonathan Smith or admits to either giving away the bikes or having bikes stolen. Yeah. We see one of those scenes, and then he says later, I couldn't find anyone, so we assume it was the same thing either way. Or, it was the same thing every time. That, like, I don't Mark kind of is, like, the most sympathetic character for a bit, because he's, like, he's the only one who's, like, it, doesn't anyone he's, think it's weird? He's the only one who looks at this up? entire situation and goes, what the fuck is happening yeah, here? He, he calls it out. He says, look, I know about, you know, I've seen con men before. I know what's going on. Yeah. You're cozying up to my sister. You're claiming your friend gave you all these things and they just seem to appear out of nowhere. Like, come on, what's your game here? Like, what is the thing? And that's when he finally, he sneaks into Jonathan's apartment. He yeah. sees that it's empty. He sees the empty fridge, which is even more poignant because we get to see, Jonathan tells Leslie. Yeah. Oh, uh, I'll, I have some sour cream. She's like, oh, shoot, I forgot to buy sour cream. And he says, oh, I've got some in my in my apartment. And then we see Mark looking in his fridge, which is empty. Then he hides. Jonathan walks in, opens the fridge, pulls out a thing of sour, sour cream, cream. Which is just conveniently there. And then uh, Mark confronts him. Yeah, and then Mark like, confronts Dude, him. Like, what yeah. the heck is you this? Don't, yeah, you don't have any food in your fridge. You don't have a razor in your or a toothbrush in your bathroom. Yeah. Like, this is clearly a front. You don't actually live here. What is the game? It's like, at least somebody is calling out, like, how suspicious this behavior is. Well, like, he throws a, he throws like a barbecue for the old people. Like, he starts gardening and making the place look beautiful, step one. Yeah. Then he invites all the old people to come and garden with him. And it's like, it gives them something to do, get some outside. Yeah. They're having a lovely time. And then he says, uh, some, there's something about, some business about the ovens being broken because the place is so old or whatever. And he says, well, why do we have a barbecue outside? And he apparently buys all of the food for the barbecue. Yeah. And Leslie says, oh, I feel so bad that you bought all of this food. And he goes, don't worry about it. And Mark says later when she tells him that story, he goes, that's weird. He's a gardener who just came into town and suddenly he has a bunch of good friends who are giving him free stuff and he's buying a ton of like hot dogs and hamburgers for everybody like this is weird and Leslie's like oh you're just being a jerk no he's being quite reasonable actually you're just starry-eyed because he's Michael Landon but like Mark is the one who's like guys this is this is insane he's clearly a con artist yeah which he kind of is but he's like the least fun con artist of all time so they have this confrontation and Mark's like, level with me or I'm calling the cops right now. Yeah. Tell me, I'm going to give you a chance to explain yourself. And so he looks him straight in the eye and says, oh, he says, come on, who's your boss? And he goes, God. <laughs> he doesn't even try. He just says, look, my job here is to, I go to different places and I help people. If you call the cops, I have to leave and I won't get to finish my job. The cops will never catch me. I'll be out of town before, you know, they can get me. And then I won't get to finish my job. And he's like, oh, come on. What is the job then? Who's your boss? And he just goes, God. God. 
I, uh, and it's like, this is, this is into like maybe the second scene of the second episode. Yeah. The, the, the second part of this two part pilot. Like we have already been through an hour of the show almost at this point. Mm-hmm. And he's now saying, I'm an angel. Like guys, you did not need 90 minutes for this. You, you did not. I mean, I was going to save that for later, but like, this is the point where I went like, you know, I've, we've watched shows where in a, maybe a 45 minute pilot, right? Not like a super short one or anything, but in a 45 minute pilot, they've managed to establish tons of backstory and world building while also solving, a, you know, c- completing a satisfactory story for that episode. We've seen it done. Maybe even, you know, an hour. Maybe a slightly longer pilot. Y'all did not need 90 minutes. You spent a lot of time giving Mike... Michael. Again. Giving Jonathan opportunities to show off his his abilities. And just longer, lingering looks and awkward moments. I mean, there's that whole thing where he's at the bar drunk. Mark is at the bar drunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jonathan comes in and tries to help him. And Mark gets in a fight. He goes into the alley with these two guys. One of them starts beating him up. The other one's just watching and smiling. Uh, and then Jonathan comes in and tries to stop the fight. And there's that great moment where the dude punches him. Jonathan is barely phased. And the dude's like, wow. Punches him again. Punches him again. Again. Barely phased. The guy's like, what? I'm like, did we need to do that twice? And then Jonathan picks him up by his lapels. Lifts him up in the air and says, I turned the other cheek. And throws him into a pile of garbage. Yeah. It's like, I was actually surprised. In my notes, I wrote at one point, wait a minute, is Michael Landon Jesus? And the best part is I didn't write it about that moment. No. I wrote it about something way earlier. <laughs> I, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I know it's, this recap is jumping all over the shop, yeah. but like, it's, it's honestly easier to talk about this thematically than it is to talk about this as an A, B, C plot line. That's true. So, the... The, the end of their confrontation in the kitchen, which I would say is kind of the, the key scene of this pilot because it's where Mark learns the secret and becomes his accomplice. Because because of how the episode ends, this is the moment where Mark's story changes. Yeah. Which is why I feel that this scene where they have the confrontation in the kitchen about you know next to the empty refrigerator is the, the key scene of this story. Yeah. Because Mark is this guy who's so beaten down by life. He's super cynical. He, he sees darkness everywhere and everybody's bad and he confronts jonathan and he says level with me or i'm calling the cops jonathan levels with him yeah and then right before jonathan goes back to his dinner with leslie he says you're more than welcome to stay here and eat leslie said you like steak there's, there's one, one in, in the, the fridge. fridge yeah and he goes out and mark goes and opens the fridge and there's a huge gorgeous t-bone steak yeah sitting, sitting on, a on like a plate yeah I thought that was weird. It wasn't like a packaged one. No. Like from a store. It was yeah. just a big steak on like a floral plate. Yeah. When he has no plates in his house. And I'm like, why this plate? I know that's like a tiny detail, but I was like, why this particularly little floral plate? Anyway. But that, that I, I know that you feel that that's like such a small thing for him to have had his mind changed by. But I, I actually found it kind of touching that like it was such a small, highly specific thing. That got to him. That I, yeah, I just found that I found that I mean, 
He seems, it seems like the door. He's trying to get out of my, of Jonathan's apartment. While they're having and, the conversation. And, the, and he's like, no, you can leave in a minute when I've explained myself. Yeah. And he's like, what the fuck? But the door is locked. And then when he's done with the story, he says, you can go now. And Mark's like, tries the door and it unlocks. And it really, the actor plays it like that's the moment that makes him go, oh, he really is what he says. Or like, maybe he really is. That's what makes him go, I'm going to let this guy go back to my sister when I think he's like a because he says, I don't know if you're a harmless kook or a dangerous kook, but you're clearly a kook. Like, yeah. he thinks there's a possibility this guy is dangerous. But he lets him go back to his sister. He walks and looks in the fridge, which he has seen for himself was empty, and now there's a steak in there. And that seems to be the thing that clinches it for him. And it's just like, I don't know, I, I was expecting more, usually in shows, and I feel like this is accurate for how people would react, someone says, okay, you're an angel, prove it. And then someone does something and they go, well, I that could have been thing. They try to explain it. And then the person does something else that they can't explain. And that's the thing that gets them. This guy doesn't even ask for proof. He gets two pretty weak examples of proof and just kind of goes with it. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, this guy was the only one who was... It, it seems to imply that him being suspicious of Jonathan and thinking he was a con artist is an example of how he's lost his faith in humanity. And it's like, no, anybody, any reasonable person would have seen Jonathan's behavior and thought something is up here. And they would be right. Something was up. He yeah. basically is a con artist. He's just a con artist for God. <laughs> Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong at all. It's a con. And I'm, I'm not saying he immediately is, is a 180. Because no. right after that, he's spying on them from the bushes. So he's it's not true. immediately 180. I'm just saying that's the turning point for him. That's the, f- the first little... Grain of rice on the scale. The next conversation they have, he goes, are you really, you know, and points upwards and says, because if you're not, I'm going to feel real dumb. It's like, because he's he's already, he's acting like a little suspicious. I guess I just really wanted a scene where Mark said, all right, look, I don't know what your deal is. I don't believe you're an angel for a second, buddy. But I'm beginning to think that you are the harmless kind of kook and you actually are trying to do something good here. So I'm going to kind of go along with you on your scheme to save the old folks home. Because it's at that point that they get the call from the old folks saying, oh, they sold the house where they told us we have to be out by Friday and like we're going to lose our home and our community and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, when when Mark jumps out of the bushes, like, where are you taking my sister? Which it's weird. Jonathan has Lucy by the arm. It doesn't look like in a comforting way. No. It really looks like he's trying to like hustle her, hustle along. her out, like because he's got a gun in his other hand. Yeah, and I, a... I was saying I don't remember if I said it out loud or if I just thought it, but I was like, "No, Leslie, never go to a second location." Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of really odd directing choices from Michael Landon, yeah. like like oh. that, like they're, yeah. they're not arm in arm, they're not holding hands. He's not they giving her his elbow. They don't show Mark looking and then a close up on him holding his arm and Mark's face, like yeah. I knew it. It's just there happening. And when he jumps out and goes, where are you going? They're like, to the old folks' home. And Leslie's like, yeah, we just got a call. They're they're, they're, they're being forced out of yeah. the home. And he goes, oh, well, I'll give you guys a ride. Yeah. He immediately was like, oh, okay. That does sound like a legit excuse. It doesn't look like he's like, oh, well, let me give you a ride. Like, A, you don't have, neither of you have cars, so I can help. But also, I want to find out if this is true. He just looks like he goes, oh, gosh. Of course, that must be true. Yeah. I don't know. He's, he seems to... That's the moment he does the complete 180. Yeah. He jumps out of the bushes. Ah, where are you going? Oh, the old folks? Well, let's go. You know. Yeah. So, uh, the next day, Jonathan goes and has a 
goes and visits the owner of the old folks' home in his yeah. high-rise office. Yeah, where, where he's, he's working out on a bright yellow exercise bike with a Walkman. Like, yeah. why wouldn't... He's alone in his office. Why wouldn't you just have a stereo or a radio on? Why a Walkman? Who knows? But he's... I love it because this bright yellow exercise bike is right next to his desk. Yeah. It's like, where does... Does that just live there? When he has, like, meetings and stuff? Also, the carpet is the most beautiful, bright cobalt blue of a color I don't think a carpet has been made in since the 70s. But it was actually really beautiful, but it made the yellow bike stand out even more. Like, it didn't go with the decor is what I'm saying. Anyway, Michael Landon fucking swoops in, gets through the guy's security, calls him by a nickname he hasn't heard since he lost his high school sweetheart, Gets the guy to soften just enough to give Michael like basically 24, 24 hours. hours to come up. But he, but he says, look, I sold the building for this much money, $100,000 or whatever, yeah. 70s money, and says, I will sell it to anyone else for the same price, including you. And he's like, well, I don't have that kind of money. And he says, well, I can give you until 6 o'clock tomorrow. So like he softens him just enough. But yeah. not too much. And then he goes, you know, he convinces the guy to listen to him by saying, by calling him this nickname. And the guy goes, well, I haven't heard that nickname since Angie Smith called me that in, in high school. We were sweethearts. He just opens up to him. Yeah. He's One second he's like, I'm calling security. Get out of here. And then he's like, yeah, I sure loved her. We were going to get married, but her parents didn't approve of me. I didn't have a cent. So I set off to make my fortune and I did. And it's like, wow, thanks for your whole life story, buddy. Uh, weren't you about to call security? Anyway, he kind of tricks the guy into thinking he knows this woman. Yeah. Which he apparently does because the guy goes, what, do you know where she's living now? And Jonathan says, she died a few years ago. And he, he says something like, uh, how, he's, how did you know that nickname? Oh, a friend told me. Yeah. And it's implied the friend is this, uh, uh, old fiance who died. Anyway, like, it's so weird. He, he, the guy gets like misty eyed. Yeah. Like, immediately but then he'll only soften enough to give him 24 hours uh and honestly he's already he he said he's well i'm gonna close i was gonna close the deal tonight but i'll give you tomorrow at six but like he already has apparently an informal uh, uh, agreement with someone else and he's willing to like go against that to sell for the same amount to somebody else that's like uh, from a businessman standpoint that's pretty soft uh yeah you know i i I feel like all these scenes with with Jonathan, like, getting through to people, they all feel like, you know, like, in, like, a, a, a Star Trek or some, or a, some sci-fi plot line where there's a time loop happening and someone opens up to someone and then the time loop starts over again and they're like, we need to get past all of the, is there a time loop, whatever. Yeah. And so they're like, just tell me the, a secret that only you know and yeah. then I could just, I could just blurt that to you and then yeah. you'll immediately believe anything I say because yeah. there's no way I would know that otherwise. Yeah. It feels like he's doing that with everybody he meets. Where it's just like he had. I'm not saying it's done well, but yeah. it's just like it's. That's kind of the impression that you get with every single character that he yeah. has an interaction he, with. He knows things he shouldn't, and then he's not super subtle about it. Yeah. He doesn't. He's not a good con artist. Is no. the thing. He doesn't say, "Oh, uh, well, I just I uh, got that nickname from your old friend Angie. Don't you remember her? Yeah. Yeah, we uh, we were friends, but she passed away. He just says, oh, a friend told me. And then he says, 
He implies it was her, but not really. He just mentions her and the guy assumes, oh, she must have been the one who told you. It's like, if he was a better con artist, he would just say, right. well, his that, friend told me. But it seems like... That's another one of those things that makes me think he's not getting the whole picture when he's doing when he's having these interactions. That's true. He it's, just, like, it's like God told him, hey, uh... Just call, call just, him Cubby. Just like Cubby. Just go with it. And it's like, okay... And luckily, the guy does roll with it. He doesn't go, well, who the hell told you that? How do you know that? Get out of here. What are you doing? Yeah. What are you trying to, tr- you know, trick me into something? And luckily, the guy just opens up and tells him the whole story. And it's like, then God apparently then whispered, yeah, that lady you mentioned, she's dead now. Yeah. Oh, by the way, also, she never married. That's the creepiest part of that scene. The guy says, by the way, do you know, Angie, did, did she ever marry? And Jonathan says, no. She's kept waiting for you. And the guy smiles. Like, oh, thank God she died without another man sullying her. Like, after I gave yeah. her up. And then and then he gets a good burn in and says, yeah, I guess she, oh, she, was, she was waiting for you. I guess you were too busy. Bam. Which does call into question, like, why does this guy never go back and try to, you know, obviously he moved on, you know. Yeah. Whatever. So. <laughs> Where are we? Jonathan <laughs> goes I'm, back to Mark. Yeah. Tells him the deal, and Mark's like, they're like, we can't, we don't have that much money, you know, we only have a few hundred dollars. And then Mark's like, well, you know, you've got the the hotline to upstairs, like, let's go to the horse track. He doesn't even say that. He just says, what about a long shot? Yeah. And Jonathan's like, a what? A what? And he goes, a long shot. A racehorse. Like, he acts like, well, you don't know what a long shot is, you dummy. Uh, and he says, why don't we bet it, bet some, you know, bet on the, on the ponies? Uh, you know. You'll know who's going to win. Well, no, he doesn't oh, even yeah, say he that. Doesn't... He just straight up suggests that betting a bunch of money on the horses is a possible way they could make money. And Jonathan is the one who goes, it wouldn't be fair. I'd know who was going to win. And he's like, well, Duh, that's, that's the... the, isn't that a good thing? Yeah. Then it's a guarantee. And he's like, I don't think the, 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 the guy, you know, I don't think my friend would approve or the boss would approve. It's gambling. And then Mark's like, but they play bingo at church for a good cause. Yeah. Like, zing. He makes a good point. It's like, does God want you to save these people or not? Like, he needs to throw you a bone. Yeah. Anyway, so then they're like, yeah, well, we'll get the old folks. They can cash their checks, you know, their welfare checks or whatever. And me and Leslie can scrounge up a couple hundred and we'll go bet it all on the ponies. And they take the entire old folks home to the racetrack. In the back of the pickup truck from Mr. Crotchety in the first yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah. When, when Mr. Crotchety drops him off at the old folks' home at the beginning, he says, thanks, Clyde. I'll be seeing you. And Clyde's like, yeah. it's a little, It's very creepy. I'll be seeing you soon. Tonight. <laughs> Through your window. Like, it's a very threatening thing to say. He says a lot of things in this show that would come off as threats. Not like, what did he mean by that? It would be like, I'm, I'm sorry, are you threatening me? He says so many things like that. It's like, I don't think Jonathan Landon... Jonathan Landon. I can't keep this guy's name straight. Michael Landon. I don't think Michael Landon realized how incredibly creepy he was making this character. But he's very creepy. He's very uncomfortable he character. He comes off very unsettling and often like he's making a threat. Like, it's... It, he's... Yeah, anyway. They take the whole folks over to the racetrack. They... He doesn't. He, he does imply that thing. He's like, look, I don't know which horse it is. I I have to look at them and and, and and then I'll know. And I don't. I can't just say, oh, I know the whole plan. So yeah, yeah, it does support the idea that he's getting bits and pieces of clues, but he's not getting the big picture. And finally, he he's like, 
that number horse. Five, number that five, that one. Yeah, number five. It's an extended, ridiculous scene where the horse suddenly stops walking where it's going, stamps its foot, turns around, like locks eyes with Jonathan, like, I can see into your soul, Jonathan. <laughs> I am the horse Jonathan. for you. Jonathan. Jonathan. I am the one. So then they get all the, put all the money together and they yeah. give it to one of the old folks to take over yeah. to the, oh, we the window and place the bet. Oh, we have Sid, the best character in this whole show, who tragically will not be around, but I'll save that for later, yeah. favorite character. Uh, this old guy takes the money. For some reason, they give it all to this one old guy. Why doesn't Jonathan or Mark take the money to go place the bet? It's not mentioned. They just give it to Sid. I mean, if I was old man. if I was gonna do this at the the track, I would give it to Sid just because he would be less suspicious. He's a sweet old man, as you know, from a nursing home, as opposed to like some young drifter. I don't know. Like they never make it. They never imply that yeah. what they're doing is suspicious, the, or that they have it's to. It's never explained. It's never mentioned. Yeah. Like we need to. Well, we don't want to make him suspicious. It's a it's a big bet to be placing. Not a lot of people place bets this big. Yeah. So you know we're gonna have to make sure that we really you know anyway it's just. Eh. Um. They establish that the the horse they've picked is like really long odds. Yeah. Uh, and so you think, well, there you go. They'll make a you know they'll win a lot of money then. So then Sid goes and places the bet. Then they're watching the race, and it's this very dramatic race, right? Oh, right at the beginning of the race, Jonathan turns to Mark and says, well, what's the name of our horse? And Mark says, Devil's Lad. And Jonathan <laughs> passes it does a like, oh, boy, like, take the camera. <laughs> not quite. But he's like, ooh. Like, he's already not convinced that this is going to work yeah. and that the big guy upstairs will approve. But, like, uh, anyway. Long um, story short, the Devil's horse Lad, doesn't win. Yeah, he's second place. They do this totally, there's a very weird moment. It's this very tense scene, right? We're waiting to see, is it going to win? Are they going to succeed? There's still enough time in the episode that technically this could fail and they might have to do something else. Yeah. And then they cut away to some B-roll of a child. Oh yeah, during the race. Washing their hands. During the race. Yeah. They're cutting away, like B-roll of the crowd. People, the old people cheering. The horse is running. Suddenly, a little boy washing his hands. And, like, his parent, who's off screen, like, washing his face. It's the weirdest fucking thing. It felt like an accident. I, I, I have a theory about this. Please do tell. The, the horses running on the track is, the, the B-roll for that is yeah. from another film. That had this cutaway of this kid and they accidentally. Yep. Just like didn't realize they went, yeah. oh, from this moment to the, from this spot in the film to this spot in the film, it's horses running. Yeah. Cut it out and pop it in there. That, uh, that it felt like an accident. That is the only explanation that makes That's sense. That's my theory. Yeah. I believe it. And that they wouldn't catch it says a lot. Anyway. So then they, you know, the horse loses. They do this unnecessary bit where there's like an inquiry, which I guess is a horse race thing. I've never heard of. It was like by a neck and they're like, we're revealing the. Yeah. Something. It was by a nose. They said a actually. Nose. By a nose. So they, you know, they say, oh, an inquiry. And he's like, what does that mean? Oh, it means there's some question. If if seven is disqualified, then five will win after all. Yeah. We wait for not that much time. Nothing happens. Nobody says anything. There's no, like, interesting conversation that happens yeah. among someone who says, like, you know, if only this works. Or if, if we don't win, thing. It, it, it accomplishes nothing. It just... It's a few, it's a tense 10 to 15 seconds, and then they go, no, it's definitely 7-7-1. Seven, seven, and you're like, oh, okay. So we definitely, are, are, we didn't win. Yeah. So Here's they're walking I'm, out, like, bummed. Yeah. 
Because, and, yeah. Yeah, and Sid is holding the ticket and going, can you believe it? This many dollars on number seven. And one of the older old people's like, you mean five? And he's like, what? And I was like, five. We, we bet our money on five. And he looks at the ticket and goes, this ticket's a seven. And they're like, what? And he doesn't even go, I said, I thought it was seven. I got the numbers mixed up because I'm old. He just said, I said five. The guy at the window accidentally put it on seven. It's a total twist of fate. And it's never, no one ever comments on it. Jonathan doesn't comment on it. Yeah. Mark never says, so what the, did the, the, the big man upstairs pull that? Like, yeah. why did he pull that? Why didn't he just make the horse we wanted win? Like, it's never established. Everyone's just relieved that they have the money now that they can buy yeah. the building. It's never established that, so this was not God's intervention, this part. God told Jonathan, it's five. Five will win. And then yeah. it wasn't. Well, and again, this is another thing on the sort of my reading of it that Jonathan is not, uh, he's not a puppet master. Yeah. He's just getting little flashes of insight. Right, but then why would God say five's going to win if it wasn't true? Because God knew that the five-seven swap was going to happen when Sid went and placed the bet. Apparently. I guess, but nobody ever says that. Nobody says like, was, it, did, was God not involved then? And Jonathan doesn't say, well, he works in mysterious... My boss, yeah. my friend, works in mysterious ways. It's just never addressed. They're just all, well, thank goodness that worked out. Not thank God, because he obviously had nothing to do with it. Just thank the yeah. goodness of the world. So it was just an absolute twist of fate, and, and nobody addresses it. It's fine. And I guess, like, I think the thing is, is Michael Landon doesn't really seem to know how God works either. And I'm not saying that I do. I'm not saying that there's like a canon God, but it's no, like... He doesn't even seem to have a consistent idea of how that's God what I mean. yeah. in his universe. In, yeah. It's bad world bending. Yeah. What, bad world bending. Bad world bending. <laughs> you guys, it's been a long day. I am tired. Let's get through this. All right. Watching so, that 90 minutes did not perk me up is what I'm saying. <laughs> so they get the money. They buy the old folks home. The old folks are now all part owners of the old folks home. Yeah. And... Uh, Jonathan's like, I gotta go. And Mark is like, you gotta go talk to Leslie. And Jonathan's like, I can't. Jonathan takes a powder. Yeah. Leslie goes running to his apartment. He's not there, but there's a new young hot guy. And she's like, oh, well, hello. And she's wearing the dress and she looks all nice because yeah. she had she's gotten dolled up. To go to the party. Yeah, to yeah. go to the the, the... the the old folks throw a party where they're all dancing and playing old music and for some reason, one of the old ladies has a, a, a balloons tied to her. Yeah. It's a weird moment. There's balloons all over the room like we're having a party. And then one of the couples dances through the frame and the old lady has a bunch of balloons tied to her arm. Yeah. She just moves through the frame. And I'm like, what? Just one of the many inscrutable choices in the show that I was like, I don't have time to even wonder why, why that was what they might have been going for with that. Move I on. I think the original draft of the script was like four hundred. Like like I feel like Michael Landon wrote four hundred pages explaining in deep deep detail the backstory of all of these weird choices. Yeah, and all of that had to be cut. But because he was also directing it, he was like, "We'll still show the balloons around her arm." You know, it's like this is Doris, and Doris has an arm that she can't lift. But for the party, she figures out that if she puts balloons on it, she can just hold it up enough to dance. I mean, honestly, why the fuck not? It yeah. makes as much sense as any bullshit in this show. Yeah. So then, yeah, they're like, where's where's Jonathan? Why isn't he at the party? Mark walks outside, finds him standing there, looking off stoically into the distance, wearing a leather jacket. He's like, I gotta go. 
I had to move on. That's the way the job is, man. It's, it's a lonely job sometimes. You meet people and you care about them and then you have to leave. And Mark's like, well, go at least say goodbye to Leslie. And he's like, I can't. There'd be too many questions. And it's that bullshit where it's like, yeah, she's still going to have those questions, yep. my dude. She's just not ever going to get even a bit of an answer. Yeah. You could at least say to her, look, you're really great and I'm so glad that I met you and I wish that I could stay longer, but for reasons I can't really talk about, I have to move on. But please continue what you're doing. Keep working with the old folks and helping them, but also live your own life. Ride a bicycle, buy a pretty dress, do all of the things I inspired you to do and do them for yourself, not for Michael Landon's hair. So the last scene... <laughs> Jonathan is walking again down a dusty road. And yeah. I just want to say, in the what we know, I freaking called it that Oh yeah. He this is like absolutely incredible Hulk kung fu thing where yeah, it's like just it walking ends, down that dusty highway. Yeah. Oh, I call it Yeah. I, I, yeah. Uh and car pulls up and Mark is driving it. And he's like And Jonathan's like, what are you doing here? Yeah. And he's like I'm, you know, I'm doing what you told me to do. I'm giving, because he gave Mark the advice of like, give Leslie some room, let yeah. her live her own life. It, it's actually one of the best lines in the episode is he's like, you need to let Leslie live her own life. She spends too much of her life worrying about you. So let her have her own life. And he goes, but I'm all she's got. And Jonathan says, no, she's all you've got. And I'm like, oh, mic drop. Like, like, got him. That yeah. was pretty on the nose because mark made some noise earlier in the episode about like oh my poor sister she like she really needs me and it's like no nobody you need her and that's that's all it is anyway but yeah he says i i told her you know i'd get out of her hair let her live her own life i told her i'd stay in touch i want to help you i want to travel with you i already know your whole story like yeah he's fine with it i was waiting i wanted this to be the moment where he said you know, I know your whole story, and hey, I'm not saying I definitely believe it, but there's definitely something going on with you, and you are good at helping people, and that's all I care about. Yeah. Like, kind of doing the thing, it would have been an, an interesting character arc for him to kind of gradually start to believe in the, or maybe yeah. just a character trait that he goes, you know what, I don't know what your deal is, or how you do the things you do, but what I do know is you're a good person, and you're good at helping people, and I want to be a part of that. Yeah. That would have been kind of interesting, but instead, they're kind of playing him like he's like, yeah, you're an angel, it's cool, whatever, I'm into it. And he's like, so he's like, I want to go with you. I want to help you help people. And that'll mm -hmm. help me be, you know, whatever. And Jonathan's like, that'd be great, but it's not up to me. Yeah. It's up to my boss. And I don't make can't. these choices. Yeah. So he, he's like, you gotta, you gotta go. You can't. Yeah. And, and Mark turns around and goes to drive away. And, and Michael, uh, Jonathan is watching him drive away. And then his car backfires. And stops. And Jonathan looks up at the sky, kind of like. Oh, you. Like, thanks, buddy. <laughs> and walks towards the car. So that's our little hint that God has given him permission. Like, okay, you can... This is my way of giving you permission to travel around with this random ex-cop. Yeah. <laughs> Ex-drunk ex-cop. So... That's the recap. Yeah, that's it. Where did the money go? This is the segment where we talk about where we think they spent the budget of the episode, if there was anything that was notably expensive. Yeah. And was it one big splash or was it evenly distributed? Yeah. I think the big splash was the, the roadhouse bar scene. You know, I thought that at first, but then they went to the racetrack. And even though clearly all the footage of the horses racing 
like we've established mm-hmm. was probably stock footage or from something else. They did still have to have some horses because they had the footage yep. of them with the horses walking yeah. by and the horse looking into Jonathan's eyes and saying, I'm the devil's lad, Jonathan, I can see inside your brain. Yeah. So they, clearly they had, they got all the old people in a truck and drove them to the, the place. But you're right, the roadhouse scene where he's drunk, it's an, it could have just been any old dive bar. Yeah. Instead, it's a huge club with a live band and people dancing on a dance floor. It's like a massive space. I'm, it was a weird choice. I'm really curious to see if that set ends up factoring into later episodes. That would I'm be weird so since curious. it's established as being... Well, they're like on the road. So yeah. like, it's like a new town, new roadhouse bar. Yeah. It's still, it just like, it would have been so easy for them to just put him at the the bar of any dive bar. Yeah. Three extras in the background yeah. to look like a crowd. Uh, and them talking at the bar. One 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 extra playing a bartender walking back and forth, maybe offering him a drink or whatever. Yeah. Or cutting him off or what, what have you. And then the lady he bumps into and flirts with, her boyfriend who threatens to beat him up, and his friend. Like, yeah. that's all you'd need. And then the scene would have been the same. Yeah. It would not have had any different, like, emotional resonance. There's, like, a live or... band and everything yeah. happening. A live band, people dancing. It's this huge room. And it just, it doesn't actually seem like the kind of place Mark would go. He makes a big deal about, I like to drink alone. I don't yeah. want to talk to anybody. And it's like, then why are you in this giant, noisy club? It just, it, it, it does seem weird. It seems like a weird choice. And it also seems like an expensive weird choice. So why? Yeah. But, yeah, th- I, after we saw the race t- uh, track, I was like, this one is, seems like a bigger expense, but it makes sense. So the Roadhouse is definitely the biggest expense that was like, why did you need to do that? Yeah. But they also do a lot of outdoor shooting. Yeah. Um, which can be more expensive, so. That's where the money went. Man, you know what? It's not cheap to rent those dusty highways. Like, <laughs> to close that thing down for the hours you need to shoot, you got to pay whatever state it's in a lot of money to do that, probably. Or you just sneak in there and do it without a permit. No, no, no. They they have to stop traffic. Strangely, you know how people are constantly driving down uh, old dusty highways in the desert. You know. Anywho, right. anywho, moving on. Clips and chips. This is a segment where we talk about any hopes that we have for future relationships in the show and what we think the cliffhangers of later seasons will be. I would have thought if and they might uh, reconfigure. Before the, the first regular episode, right? Mm-hmm. That happens sometimes. Unless they re- reconfigure so that Mark is more skeptical. You know how sometimes they'll kind of resolve an arc at the end of the pilot? And then they'll sort of reopen that. They'll like, backtrack that a little bit. In Jack of All Trades, a perfect example. He has this sort of antagonistic relationship with the lady spy. And then she warms up to him by the end. But like... I think, didn't you watch the next episode or something? And you were like, yeah, she goes right back to being antagonistic yeah. of him. And yeah. it's, they're not, that warming at the end was like an example to show eventually they'll get there. Yeah, yeah. But like, unless they do that and the cliffhanger or the big reveal at the end of season one is Mark finally believes, I honestly can't think of what could be a major thing. Yeah. Uh, we actually meet God. Ooh. Casting. Uh, who would be God in a 1970, what is this? 78? 74? Yeah. Some number. Anyway, who would be a good 1970s God on this show? Orson Welles. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
George Burns. George Burns. There's an amazing, there's a scene where Sid, my favorite character, burns George Burns so good. <laughs> it was a true George Burn. Uh, we didn't go into it because it was a ridiculous side plot where two of the, he was in love with one of the old ladies in the old folks home and it's not, it's not worth really mentioning. Uh, they have no chemistry and it's not particularly adorable. Uh, no. he's just kind of creeping on her. So, but he, yeah, he gets in a good burn because she says, you're no George Burns. And he says, I know if I was George Burns, you'd have to be 20 years old for me to ask you out. And it's like, oh, zing. zing. <laughs> anyway, uh, that would be a good reveal though. Although, was this before or after? Oh God. Before or after? Oh God. The, the movie. Oh. <laughs> Wait, is it called Oh God, You Devil? Or was it Oh God and the sequel is called You Devil? There's a movie There's a movie from this time period where George Burns played God. He huh. comes to Earth and then he's like, reveals himself. And it's that whole thing where he says, hi, I'm God. And he chooses this random, I think it's like John Denver or something. He chooses this like hapless person to sort of be his like shepherd through right. the world. And it's he's going on talk shows and people are like, this crazy old man claims he's God. What are you, you know, and it's like yeah, yeah. shenanigans occur. And it, either it's called Oh God and it had a sequel called You Devil, or there's an entirely different film called Oh God, You Devil, where George Byrne plays both God and the Devil, which that sounds more like my memory of it. And at the same time, could there possibly have been two movies where George Burns played God? Yes. The answer is yes. Please tweet at us if you know more about George Burns' film career. Yeah. I mean, in terms of like kind of future predictions for this, the one thing that I would I, I would put money down as happening at some point mm -hmm. is uh, Jonathan and Mark encounter Jonathan's like opposite number. So there's like, there's a, there's a demon who has to walk the earth. Who's like getting up to little shenanigans and they stunt cat. And it's a stunt. Yeah. It's a seventies, like sweet, sweet stunt cast. That sounds like too interesting a plot for this show. This show's trying so hard to be like, heavy-handed judge judginess of like look there's goodness in the world and i'm here to bring it out it almost seems like too exciting or too fun to suddenly have like a demon show up see which is what i would think based on what we saw yeah but knowing that this show ran for five seasons and got oh, 111 great. episodes okay yeah maybe they change it up maybe they, they spice it up because uh, that pilot was it was almost comparable to moonlighting it wasn't yeah. nearly as infuriating as moonlighting but it was kind of like, that was so poorly done. How did this become a beloved show? Yeah. And I could just I could just see them going a little more whimsical with it yeah. in later seasons where it's like, you know, they do a Christmas episode where like they have to help a, a man deliver some presents and the man may or may not actually be Santa. Oh, no, no. This show is way too religious for that. If they have a Christmas episode that gets like very Christmas like that, it's going to be they meet a prostitute who's pregnant or some shit like that. And like they have to help her like, you know, keep the baby or whatever. And then she ends up giving birth in a barn or some shit like or in, I don't know, what's the 1970s equivalent of a barn? A, a, a truck bike stop? shed, a truck stop. I don't know, like... We need to we need to we need to find out if that actually it's, happens because I your almost, pitch is so note perfect. I almost guarantee it. Look, I have some friends who throw a Christmas party every year, or it's a sort of winter solstice uh -huh. uh, winter holiday party. Uh, and one of the things I love to do at this party is find really weird Christmas specials from old TV shows, and then we sit and watch them. 
And one of the ones we watched this year, I was like, oh, that wasn't as Christmassy as I was expecting. It was more winter. And then we saw the, the, we saw the synopsis for the next episode that was about to autoplay. And I was like, oh, that's the Christmas episode. Because it's like main character's name meets a young prostitute who, <laughs> who's oh, wow. pregnant. And I'm like, wait. And they were like, yeah, we read the synopses for both episodes and we thought this one sounded more fun. And it's clearly also a... A Christmas. Right. It was also clearly aired in December, and we thought that sounded more fun than a heavy-handed one, you know, a heavy-handed Christ metaphor. So right. we're like, yeah, fair enough. That sounds more fun for a light holiday party with the uh, boozy hot cocoa and cookies. So that just made me go, oh, this show, if any show is going to do that, this show has to. Has to have had. Where, where you know, Jonathan talks about the reason for the season. Right. And, and tells people that, you know, you know, Santa, he, he very lightly implies that Santa is, is, represents capitalism or some shit like that. It's either that or they meet a small town, a, a down on his luck, small town carpenter whose birthday is Christmas. And they're like, yep. Yep. he's like, what's wrong? He's like, well, today's my birthday. I, no one seems to much care, though. People never care much about my birthday. Too busy buying each other big presents. <laughs> Spending lots of money. The devil's money. Anyway, I, yeah, the, I could go for that. Hey, they had five seasons. That's they could have done all of these. Five Christmas episodes. They could have done every one of these. Like, they do the the, 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 the pregnant, you know, like the Jesus yeah. birth one the first year. Then the next year they do the, the carpenter. And then, like, as maybe in the fourth season or something, they go, eh, let's lighten up. Come on, Michael, lighten up on the whole Jesus thing. Let's do a Santa episode. And he's like, all right. <laughs> on that note, moving on to our next segment. What will this show be? I think we've already pretty much nailed it, that this is new town every week, new yeah. problem. Yeah, I think that they'll probably dial it in a little bit, but I, I feel like, yeah, this is going to be it. They, you know, Mark and Jonathan come to a new town, and they find some people who need help, and they help them. And it's a, it's a wholesome con job, basically. And yeah. then at the end, they leave. And the fact that, I mean, basically Mark is the audience avatar, right? Like, he's the reason that Jonathan will have to explain things. Or, you know, sometimes he'll come up with things that Jonathan maybe wouldn't have thought of on his own because of being from heaven. I don't know. (laughs) It's, yeah, that seems pretty straightforward. So I think we can move on to... This is going to be a short one. I didn't recognize anybody but Michael Landon. Same. Not one actor in this was like, oh, that guy. Yeah. yeah. Not, a, not a one. So let's move on to... I choose you. This is a segment where we pick our favorite character from the episode, and I would like to start by saying Sid. He's a little old Jewish man who lives in the old folks home. And when he first speaks, we see him being kind of a creeper. He's creeping on this other old lady who, like, she's pulling the classic, oh, my daughter's just uh, on on business in Europe. When she gets home, she'll be getting me out of here. I'm only here temporarily. I'm too good for the rest of you people. Which is, like, I feel like I've seen that in so many freaking sitcoms some or movies where some old person's like, well, I'll be out here any minute. My daughter definitely still cares about me. Anyway, uh, he's being a bit of a creeper, but when we first hear him speak, he's just like classic Eastern European Jew. And I was expecting what we normally get from a character like that, which is he'll be sort of vaguely Eastern European New Yorker, but he'll never explicitly say he's Jewish. And he might even say something about Christmas or whatever. This happens all the time. People want to use the Jewish tropes, but they don't actually want to make the character Jewish. This freaking guy? This guy? 
Mr. Gold, in the very first scene, he says, Oi, Gewalt, which, like, I can't even say how happy I was because I'm like, oh, he said, Oi, Gewalt, not Oi, Vey. Like, I hear actual Jewish people say Oi, Gewalt way more than Oi, Vey, but Oi, Vey is the thing that people say in TV shows when they're like, look how Jewish this character is, Oi, Vey, or just Oi, you know? They want to be even more vague. So, like, honestly, the fact that they actually made him, like, Jewish. And he comments on it later in a very weird way. But he says to the lady when she's being rude to him, he says, Now I know the difference between Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles are rude. And I love you. It's <laughs> the weirdest declaration of love I think I've ever heard. Uh, but it's just the fact that they made him Jewish. And he actually, he says, well, we it just, I don't know, it made me really happy in this show that is otherwise very heavy-handed uh and it feels it, i mean it feels way more christian than it does jewish well and it's this is also one of those uh one of those things where you have any kind of minority representation yeah where it's so rare that you have minority representation where their their minorityness has no plot bearing they just exist yeah yeah it's not part of the plot that he's jewish he doesn't have some jewish knowledge that helps them yeah He's not the magical Jew, right? Yeah. Like, when that, that, the one, there's also one black guy who lives in the old folks home. And when he showed up, strangely, he said, like, oh, no, here comes the magical Negro. But then he's not, he's just a character there. Yeah. He just, he has a few lines. They refer to him as Doc, so presumably he's a doctor. But other than that, he doesn't have any, like, he doesn't dispense yeah. any particular wisdom. He's not a bigger character than anyone else. Like, no, it's just, like, the way he was framed and shot in yeah. his very first appearance it was even like he, you hadn't seen him prior in the background yeah. or anything. So all he of a sudden there's just around. this. And I was like, is this going to be like the God character? Yeah. Like what is going well, also, on? Also, it's the first person that uh, has been referred to by a nickname, not by their first name. Yeah. Jonathan does this weird thing where he refers to people by their first name before they've told him. Leslie's the only one who calls him on it. He calls Sid by his first name before he's met him. And Sid just does, he's kind of old, I guess he doesn't yeah. <laughs> notice. But yeah, it's it's he does that weird thing where he knows things and then he doesn't. Again, bad con artist. He doesn't come up with a reason why he knows their name. Or ask them their name so that he doesn't make that mistake. Anyway, he calls this guy Doc. And it almost seems like, oh, is he going to be some kind of, yeah. you know, whimsical, like, uh, legendary sort of... Not legendary. What's the word I'm looking for? Just like... Supernatural? Yeah, sort of mage. Like, yeah, something. Like, very wise character. Or, yeah. I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but... You know, he's just another guy who lives at the home. He does not have a particular character. He has a few lines here and there, but not more than any of the other sort of tertiary old folks. I just I just want to add as a small addendum, when I said magical Negro, I'm referring to that specific trope. Yeah. And it, yes. you know, that's kind of a problematic if, if, word to you, use. Well, yes. If you're not familiar with the trope of the magical Negro, that is what we're referring to. Someone else coined that phrase. I have heard many people use it of a variety of backgrounds, yeah. so I'm assuming that we've all agreed that using that term in that context is referring to that trope and the way that that trope treats black people yeah. and is not implying that that is a word that is cool to use today yeah. in 2020. I just just wanted to add that. <laughs> Which, uh, speaking of things I just want to add, yeah. my favorite character was Mark. I, I found him endearing in a really strange way i think i think a big part of it is not what's on the page not what the actor's been given but what the actor is doing with it okay uh he he plays this character with a kind of like 
I don't know, for for being the tallest actor in the show, being the broadest actor in the show, having a big beard, he's a huge presence, but he never comes across in the performance as someone particularly, like, menacing. Yeah. And I think it would be really easy, but he just, he's a very sad, small person, even though he's this big, hulking guy. And I, I just, I found a lot of that kind of stuff really interesting, that he could have come across as very menacing, and he could have, like, when he's drunk, he could have been like, oh, cut you or whatever you know he could have been really dark yeah and he instead he was just sad and i actually i found the performance kind of endearing and i i'm curious to see if they spend more time sort of having him have a journey as the show goes on that would be good to see yeah it'd be something uh so shall we move on to our final verdict this is the segment where we ask the question did this pilot do the job of a pilot and make you want to watch more no, it did not. <laughs> Although that's more about me than the pilot, I will say. I think it. this seemed to set up fairly well what was going to happen. Which I guess that's sort of the sub-question of did this pilot do the job of a pilot? Did it, did it seem to set up what the show's going to be? Without seeing any of the rest of the show, I do feel like it set that up. Yeah. I just was like, oh boy, watching 90 minutes of repetitious scenes and long glances and ex- unnecessary setup shots. It just it was like, I am so exhausted already. I'm not, it, it feels, the tone feels very heavy handed. I'm sorry, Brandy also, cause I know you really like this show, but I, yeah, I definitely, uh, I am also probably a little extra sensitive to heavy handed Christian bullshit, uh, which is how this show felt a little bit to me. How did you feel about it? Strangely? Um, I wasn't reading very much Christianity in it just because the sort of vague, there's a God up there who wants people to be nice is not really the Christian thing. It's like this kind of weird Hollywood version of the Christian thing. Sure. Um, but like the show is very heavy handed with its moralizing for sure. Well, I mean, he says I turned the other cheek. Yeah. I mean, he quotes. It's not devoid of. Of Christian uh, imagery. No, but I mean, he quotes or the references. He quote. He he's he's hitting some greatest hits. There's no deep cuts here. I guess is what I'm what I'm getting I, at. I didn't expect it to have deep cuts. It still feels very subtly the 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 background radiation of the show is based in Christianity. Yeah, in as much as it is sort of based in weird kind of quasi-spiritualist Americana thing where like small towns are more pure and sure. and God is a thing that everybody believes in, of sure. course. It's like, it's almost a kind of animism more than it is like a specific religion. To me, it felt very... Yeah, but, but that, but that, that kind As of... As someone who is not Christian. Yeah, but the, what I'm saying is that that kind of weird animism thing yeah. is informed by Christianity. I'm yeah. not saying it's not... It's just to anybody that I know who is distinctly Christian, yeah. they would not, they would not view this that way. Sure. Um, it's it's definitely low key background radiation of our society, the yeah. way that it's been affected by Christianity, that kind of yeah. But just a little bit heightened because he's you know hitting yeah. the some of the greatest biblical hits and yeah. you know. So all that aside, I, for me this. I, this is the kind of thing where, because I'm fairly certain they didn't tinker with the setup at any point in the five-year run, 
I would imagine that this is the kind of show where you could find some list of like the 20 greatest episodes of this show. Because I'd be willing to bet that some really awesome sci-fi fantasy writers in the 70s wrote individual episodes of this. Hmm. And I bet there are some that are really good. Which yeah. might be why well, this is beloved. When people also, are like, that one episode yeah. where the thing and yeah. the... Especially when... The dog has only three the, legs and the, you know, whatever. Like the, 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 As the show went on and got more popular, I could also see them getting some great guest stars. Since this is one of those shows where there's, you know, there are exactly two recurring characters. Yeah. And they don't have to have any, like, standing sets or whatever. It can be a whole new cast, basically, yeah. every week, aside from... Jonathan and Mark. Yeah. So, so this almost just becomes... realized that Mark is a disciple yeah. name. Yep. That math checks out. Which, you know, could also then... I guess that's what my interest in this is that this could almost be sort of an anthology show. Yeah. I'm seeing that this could have some legs as something where it's like, look, these aren't all winners. Yeah. I mean, it's like Star Trek The Next Generation has some of the worst single hours of television ever produced. Like, I, you know. <laughs> I can't, can't imagine which ones I'm thinking of. I can't fight you on that. I was raised at the teat of TNG, yeah. and I still cannot fight you on that. But it's, it's, it's one of the greatest shows ever crafted. I'm, I, will, I, will, I will totally agree. But it has some of the single worst hours of television. I'm but, sorry. I, I just made a face. And not because I was thinking of a particularly bad TNG episode. Just my line about the teat of TNG made me think of that super weird line where the old lady's like, my daughter doesn't care about me. Why can't she remember when I used to hold her to my breast? I'm like, do you know how traumatizing it would be if everyone could actually remember breastfeeding? <laughs> be freaking weird, lady. We're not all those weird like hippie families that breastfeed until the kid is seven. Yeah, like... Why can't you remember when I held her to my breast? You're like, whoa, oh, wow. Yeah. Whoa, yeah. That took a turn. That took a turn. Which, I oh. never mentioned this, but there are multiple lines written for women in this that I'm like, Michael Landon, have you ever met an woman? Yeah. Well, what was another one other than that? There was another one where the two old ladies are arguing and one of them says something dumb and the other one's like, ugh. And then the other one says something else dumb. And then the one who's like discussed with her is like, woman, listen to yourself. Yeah, she says, woman. I'm like, I women don't. No. Unless they're joking. They don't call each other yeah. women, generally they're speaking. Like, well, also, that was a, like a cartoonish example of the, what happened? A uh, 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 crutch? Uh, lap? Uh, no, no, I can't think of a good one. But it's like, hey, how are you? Who's named Lou? You know, like that yeah. example of someone who can't hear. No, I'm asking how you are. You going to a bar? You know, it's, they did the- an extended sequence of that that went on for way too long. And then at the end of the scene, Jonathan says, nice to meet you, Maddie. And she goes, nice to meet you too. And the other lady's like, you could hear him? She's like, of course I can hear him. I'm not deaf. Which could be a funny joke. Because yeah. clearly she is kind of deaf. But then she says, it's just when you get old, people start shouting at you. I never asked them to shout at me. And I'm like, okay, yeah, but you clearly do have a hearing problem. Because this other lady was shouting at you, unless you were messing with her? Like, you couldn't, you thought someone but died was, on top was, of their the TV. The scene wasn't played for laughs. Like, no. if she was just fucking with her, which would have been funny, yeah. it wasn't no, played like, for laughs. She's, she's like watching a soap opera, and she goes, who died on General Hospital today? 
Someone died and went to the hospital? Oh, which room were they in? No. Who died on the TV? They died on top of their TV. What? No, it's it's super comical, but not funny. Yeah. Not funny even a little bit. Which so anyway. is why I would love to see this premise in better hands, in the hands of a better writer. Which, based on how long it ran for, I'm inclined to believe that there are a couple of gems in there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pilot House. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pilot House Pod. Visit our website at pilothousepodcast.com or email us at pilothousepodcast at gmail.com to suggest future shows. Our podcast is entirely listener-supported, so thanks to this week's special guest star, Chris, for supporting us on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash pilothouse to find out how you can become a series regular. Pilot House is a Herringbone Society production. Speaking of weird lines, yeah, there's that moment at the beginning where Clyde, our crotchety uh, pickup truck, truck driver, yeah, yeah, his car breaks down, right? Because uh-huh. God made it. And Jonathan walks up and goes, "Have some trouble with the truck?" And Clyde's like, "Got the front of the truck up." He's leaning in to look at the engine. Jonathan says, "Something wrong with the truck?" And he goes. No, I'm just hiding under here to keep the sun from to to keep the sun off my bald spot. And we both went. Wah! We both really thought he was gonna say keep the sun off my balls, even though my brain was like, but his butt stuck out in the sun. It's not actually gonna keep oh, the sun spot. off my bald spot. And I was like, later on, I thought, now was that intentional? It seems more likely with the show that it wasn't because the show isn't very funny, but. Part of me was like, did Michael Landon once hear someone say, no, I'm just trying to keep the sun off my balls or something like that. And he went, oh, that's pretty good, but like, too crass for my God program. Oh, change it to bald spot. That makes sense. That actually works better. Just just dumber. (laughs) Uh, But the way that the the character, or he just wrote that, uh, Michael Landon just wrote that line and the actor went, oh, I know what to do with this. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to really hold out the ball. There is no intentional comedy in this whatsoever. It is Mm -mm. so serious. Mm -mm. Except for that, the scene with the, they died on their TV. Like, I do think that was meant to be a little bit of, like, maybe levity. levity, But it just failed, utterly. Because it's, first of all, it's super cliche. Although, no, I'm pretty sure that was a cliche in vaudeville. Like, by the time the 70s rolled around, it was already done. Anyway, uh, I think that pretty much covers it yeah so on that note bye Bye. i was trying to take it to church at the end and i just whipped it so did michael landon hey